There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. Producer Al here. It's time for another TSFP Presents re-release here on the Monday podcast feed. And it's another episode of TSFP Presents A History of Transfers. This series was first released for patrons back in 2019. And this episode discusses the most influential transfers in La Liga history. Uh, For more of this kind of thing, you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. If you're looking for a last minute Christmas present for the Spanish football fan in your life, you can sign them up to an annual membership and you get 10% off as well. Uh, This will be the last episode up on the Monday feed for 2023 as La Liga takes a break over Christmas. Uh, Thank you as always uh, for listening and thanks for your support over the last year and Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate. Uh, We'll be back in the new year. Hello patrons and welcome to another edition of TSFP Presents A History of Transfers. Today we're talking about the transfers that have had the biggest impact on La Liga. We've got some very interesting transfers and stories to go through. There are a few notable absentees from today's podcast because we're dedicating or we're going to dedicate a specific podcast to some of the... The biggest names, i.e. Such is their influence <laughs> that they deserve a pod of their own. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, Di Stefano, Johan Cruyff, Messi and Ronaldo on a separate uh, pod because just basically they do deserve a full podcast of, of their own. But there are... Is that the one after the podcast we dedicate purely to Diego Ferrero? Or, or Diego Ferrero. Has a podcast of his own, doesn't he? He hasn't even ever played in La Liga, Sid. He... He's never played in La Liga. He's not getting a podcast. I'm sorry. I'm beating We're not doing Segunda B's greatest ever buys. If and when we do that. Yes. If and when we do the greatest ever Segunda B goal machines, he will be right there at the top of the list. But this is about real um, (laughs) real legends and and players who have had a huge impact uh, in La Liga. Uh, We're going to kick off, and it's it's a little bit sort of chronological, I think, uh, how how we've done this. A little bit chronological. Yes. That means it's basically chronological, but if it's not exactly, don't have a go at us. That's more what that means. More or less. Yeah. It's a little bit chronological. Uh, also, we are recording Al Fresco, so uh, apologies if there is a little bit of background noise. I didn't realise his surname was Fresco. Oh, God. Really it's my uh, <laughs> yeah, Italian cousin. <laughs> yes. So we're going to kick off by talking about uh, Laszlo Kubala, or Ladislao Kubala, yeah. as he's known in, uh, in Spain. Well, he nationalised as a Spaniard. I've got, uh, I had a colleague who was called Ladislao, hmm. Spanish. What did you call him, Lasley? Ladis. Ladis. Yes. It's uh, not a very common name. It's not a very common name, no. Right? Uh, but Laszlo Kubala is a name that is very much known to, to Barcelona fans. If you're not a Barcelona fan, you, you might have uh, might ring a bell, you might have heard of him, you might not be aware of the impact he had on Football Club Barcelona. I mean, as a rule of thumb, if you've got a statue outside Camp Nou... Yes. You've done all right. You've done well. Well, he's the only one who has. Indeed. There you go. And for, for a club like Barcelona... 
that that sort of says it all, really. And the fact that it's Camp Nou is is, is significant as well because while it's partly been mythologised. Um, he's always seen as the guy that built the Camp Nou. Now, obviously, he didn't physically, literally build it. Although, if you see footage of him, he certainly could have done because he was a big, strong man. He could have he could have hod carried for you quite quite <laughs> easily. Um, but he's always seen as the guy who built the Camp Nou because he changed everything mm. at Barcelona. That he was the one who made them the best team in the world, which they were uh, until the signing. Right, of not the Stefano. best, not the best team in Europe. Well, they were the best team in the world before the signing of the Stefano. <laughs> right. So that's what changes it. Um, they were, you know, they in a way Barcelona were. Were, were victims of timing had the European Cup be- begun six, seven years earlier mm. or maybe even six, seven years later mm. this whole thing might feel very, very different um, and he was the one that through the at least this is the way the story runs that through the, the impact of what he did through the revolutionising of, of football through changing the way the game was played through making it exciting created a, an environment which the old saying was too small and they needed this new stadium now, it's not entirely true they'd already bought the plot of land before he'd even arrived but that's certainly kind of the justification for it. So he signs for Barcelona in 1951, and the actual transfer is uh, is an interesting one. And his backstory is also pretty fascinating. Yeah, as absolutely. Well. And he plays his first game in, in in 51, but he's officially signed the year before. Mm. But he's on an amateur contract for that first year, basically because I mean, the, to, well, let's not cut a very long story short. But let, let's try and mm. praise here a little bit. Obviously, uh, Kubala is Hungarian. Um, he escapes. After the after after the forty eight rising, I believe it is, um, he decides he, he wants to leave. He actually crosses into U.S. controlled Austria yes. on the back of a Russian truck. He's a refugee. To, yeah, pretending to be a Russian soldier through the middle of the night crosses crosses the Alps. Um, from Austria, he goes to Italy. Uh, in Italy, he has the opportunity to play for Torino, which he turns down. And actually, the, the game that he would have played, the game that they'd offered him to play in, was the one that they were on their way to when they mm. had the, the plane crash, the Superga plane crash, uh, which, of course, killed the, the entire Torino team. He was told that because he was denounced by the Hungarian Football Association, he was effectively you know, banned from playing football. So what happens is he, he plays for a team called Pro Patria in Italy and then he becomes, forms a team called Hung, Hungria, or Hungria with uh, Fernando Dalsek, who is his brother-in-law, uh, a load of other Hungarian refugees, and they create this team because they're officially not allowed to play football. That team tours Spain, and in Spain in 1950, of course, he gets seen by Espanyol, Real Madrid and Barcelona. And this is, before the Stefano, the original Barcelona-Real Madrid tug-of-war. Because Real Madrid were very interested in signing him. Real Madrid believe that they have a chance of getting him. They've offered him a contract. He um, he is inclined to take it, but also knows he has a discussion with Barcelona pending. Barcelona get this um, Hungarian swimmer, uh, whose name I'm going to look up for you because I didn't have it written down, Zolimi, who basically decide, they say, right, stick to him, don't let him get out of sight, make friends with him, and just kind of, you know, nudge him our way and sticking to him and making friends with him essentially involves drinking an enormous amount of alcohol um, and in the end Barcelona when they have a discussion with uh, Kubala about the contract Kubala pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket and says I want a contract like this and what he shows them or at least this is the, the version of the story that's, that's been accepted over the years what he shows them is, is a copy of the offer that Real Madrid have given him mm-hmm. and in the end Barcelona take it now one of the reasons why Real Madrid were furious about this was because Real Madrid had been told by the Spanish Football Federation to back off mm not to try and sign him because of the problems it would cause them with FIFA because he's officially at this point 
ineligible for playing. He can't play football. He's not allowed to. He's 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 a he's a pirate footballer, mm. which is a phrase. I mean, he can't come play official games. Can't play yeah. official games. So he, he plays for Barcelona friendlies. in some friendlies. Yeah. There's a lovely line where uh, Pepe Simitier, who is the sporting director at Barcelona, um, in the in the in some of the friendlies, and obviously this tells you that these are different times. He says, "Now remember, you go on the pitch. Your name is Oligario, and you're mute." <laughs> <laughs> So much so that people at Barcelona used, called him Oligadio for years. Wow. Oligad. Ah, yes, mm, yeah. that's true. Uh, he was very, very, very expensive, by the way. Oh, yeah. They had to pay him 1,200 pesetas a month, plus an extra 3,800 pesetas in what was known as living expenses. And, you know, at that time, that is a, an enormous amount of money. Okay. Those expenses are quite, yeah. quite I mean, that, high. That's on him. That's not on the fee, obviously. Yes. There's no fee, at least. Worth it, though. Absolutely worth it. You know, this is a guy genuinely, and you talk to his teammates as, as I've done, obviously, because writing the book a few years ago, and they really do talk about him as a player that was mm. just on a totally different level. I mean, Josep Seged, who died not long ago, I spoke to him about it. He said, Look, you know, he, he used to carry us, he used to win games on his own, and he was this enormous, powerful, muscular man, but very, very elegant with it very dainty on the ball you watch footage of him and there's all these kind of drag backs and flicks and stuff and alright it looks like old football but mm. it still looks like he's different and there's a sense that, that he kind of revolutionised the game and you talk to his teammates and they say that he changed the game things like curling the ball over a wall you know, at a time when no one was doing it he was doing it he did things that they genuinely hadn't seen before and they won four league titles with him they won five cups with him. You know, this is a league in 52, 53, 59 and 60. The cups in 51, 52, 53, 57 and 55. Mm. They won the Fairs Cup, which at a time when there wasn't yet an official European competition, kind of makes them the best team in Europe. I mean, it's it's, it's a little bit not quite right because it's kind of a city team. But, but you know, Barcelona... So what do you mean fit. there wasn't a European competition? The Fairs Cup is what would eventually segue into, into, into the UEFA Cup. Cup. Right, but there were, there were still the no, European Cup. The European Cup. Cup hadn't started yet. This is what I mean. So they win the Fairs Cup before that and then they win it then as it starts right, to overlap right, right, with the European okay. Cup. So the two that they actually win are as it overlaps with the European okay. Cup. So in 55... Here's a funny one for you. In 55-58... Yes. Yes, it was a three-year kind of bizarre competition. And in 58-60, and they also won what was known as the Copa Latina, which is essentially, I think I'm right in saying, France, Italy and Spain. So, uh-huh. you know, a chunk of Europe. And they were, the, they were the best team around. And he was, you know, the heart of that team. He's also the reason why the whole Di Stefano thing happened. Because he got tuberculosis. He lost seven kilos. He had a medical report that said, quite brilliantly, no apto para el deporte, you know, not apt for playing football, can't play football anymore. And that is the moment at which Barcelona start looking for a replacement for him because they're worried about him. They start looking for a replacement. Of course, the person they find is Alfredo Di Stefano. To be continued. To be continued, yes. We will all save that story. Obviously, what happened podcast. was he overcame tuberculosis and, and carried on playing anyway. Yes, and uh, Di Stefano joined Real Madrid. But there yeah, we go. Di Stefano and him were really, really good mates. And Di Stefano, Di Stefano always said you know, he was a spe- special player. Um, Didn't they, they worked together at Espanyol? Yeah, they were together managers, at Espanyol. Yeah. Yeah, no, they played together at Espanyol. Oh, they played as, together. They both coming to the end of their career. Right. And Di Stefano, Di Stefano had, had an awful lot of time for him. So he could kick the ball like a cannonball. Yes, right. Well, another man who could kick a ball like a cannonball is Luis Aragonés. Let's talk about him and uh, his, uh, his move to Atletico Madrid. Obviously, he is a legendary figure in Spanish football. And yeah. Again, a lot of people listening to the podcast will know him as the manager of the Spain national team. Obviously, led them to their triumph in Euro 2008. Uh, a manager of, of, of clubs as well, not least Atletico Madrid. But as a player, he had a huge impact on Atletico. He made his La Liga debut for... Real Oviedo. Real Oviedo, yes. 
Oviedo's first ever came in La Liga. So there yes. you go. We've managed to segue, segue get uh, Real Oviedo into the podcast, uh, and that's it. Then he moved to uh, then he moved to Real Betis, where he was for a couple of years, yeah. and then. He joined Atletico Madrid and went on to achieve so much. Yeah, and become yeah. arguably the most influential figure in the history of Atletico. And should, um, I say should, yeah, okay, I'm going to stick with should. Should have scored the most important goal in Atletico Madrid's entire history. Yes, in the uh, Euro, 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 1974 European Euro, Cup European final. Cup final, there we go. 74, 75, wasn't it? Uh, no, 74. 74. 74. 73, 74. And he scores a goal in extra time, a free kick, and yes. he was an expert free kicks that, that gives him the lead. I think it's the 111th minute when he scores. And then, you know, with a couple of minutes to go, a guy called Schwarzenbeck scores for Bayern Munich this ludicrously long-range shot which frankly the goalkeeper Pepe Reina's dad makes a I believe it was Pepe Reina's dad anyway it was Miguel Reina wasn't it in that final anyway I've got slight doubt creeping into my mind now but I think it was him makes a bit of a mess of and it and it finishes 1-1 and then Bayern Munich win the replay Um, 4-0 Bayern Munich renounced the opportunity to play in the Intercontinental Cup and so Atletico Madrid go and win the Intercontinental Cup so they're the only team as far as I know, mm. who have won the Intercontinental Cup without winning the European Cup. He's also the top goalscorer in the history of Atletico Madrid. Antoine Griezmann's closing in. He's about sort of 40 or 50 goals behind yeah. him. And when you yeah, think about all the great strikers they've had, yeah. I mean, that yeah. is serious. Yeah, exactly. You know, 360 games he scored, he, he played for Atletico Madrid. Just a, and, and not really a goal scorer as such, mm. in that he was, he was kind of an all-round, creative, attacking midfielder, um, a man of in, incredible talent, actually. And, and as, as, as well as a, a little touch of attitude but that touch of attitude I think really comes across when he becomes a manager rather than a player and as we're talking about influential signings you know as we'll do I'm sure when we talk about Cruyff you know his influence goes well beyond the fact that he's a player he becomes mm. a manager immediately after stopping being a player immediately wins wins the cup he wins I think as a player three, three leagues and two, two cups as a manager he then goes and immediately wins the cup this is a you know, this is a guy whose impact on Atletico Madrid is huge. Who was manager of Atletico Madrid four different yeah, times? Yeah, that's remarkable. Across and spanning years. exactly spanning a huge period. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's quite extraordinary. I, mean, I think we saw this when he died, didn't we? That the response from Atletico Madrid mm. when he died, I think, told you how how important he they was. still sing his name. Yes. I mean, his name still gets sung at most games. Obviously, it's a slightly sort of facile thing to say, but. He is Atletico Madrid. I mean, he symbolises yeah. a lot of what Atletico Madrid fans identify with. Absolutely. And as I say, you know, he becomes manager immediately after he stops playing. He wins the Continental Cup, Intercontinental Cup. And he's, he's yeah, exactly. He, he symbolises that. Um, born in Ortaleza, which is northeastern Madrid, which is not necessarily Atletico country. No. But very, very associated with being madrileño, with, mm. with that great word castizo, which is really difficult to translate, kind of real, authentic, the tradition of Madrid, if mm. you like, the kind of the heartbeat of, of, of Madrid as a city. Um, and you're right, in that sense, he's, he's the embodiment of what Atletico would like to think they are. And also, even stylistically, because he was, despite what happened with the Spanish national team, a coach who was largely wedded to the idea of counter-attacking football, mm. until, of course, he took over the Spain team, saw what he had, and said, OK. So that's the other thing, of course, his influence with the Spanish national team is gigantic, too. I mean, as we will see with, with quite a lot of these signings, it is perhaps interesting to see, or just imagine, hypothetically, what, what happens mm. if they're not what there. What happens if they're not yeah. there? I yeah. mean, you know, if Luis Aragonés doesn't join Atletico Madrid, he stays with Betis, or he goes back to Oviedo. Yeah, you know, who knows we could what would have, have been the biggest team in Spain. <laughs> who knows what would have happened? I mean, he was manager of Real Oviedo when we were rele- relegated. Oh, was he? Yeah, in 2001, and and, and said to Esteban a really a really nice line. I mean, obviously, I don't suppose it was a huge amount of consolation at that point. Um, but Oviedo go down, and it's very famous that he said to Esteban, "Every time it rains." 
it clears up again. So you know, the, you, this might seem like like a tra- well, right. tragic storm now, but, but things I mean, will come good. Right, people in Oviedo know that it rains all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it clears up again, and then it rains and again. Then it rains <laughs> again. <laughs> and actually, it didn't clear up for God knows how many years. It still hasn't cleared up. <laughs> All right, so that's, uh, that's Luis Aragonés. Let's move on and talk about uh, another player and another team and go into the 80s now. That was in uh, 1964 where we were talking about Luis Aragonés. When he started, yeah, yeah yes. absolutely. Um, but uh, into the 80s, and let's talk about Mario Kempes wow. joining Valencia from Rosario Central in, uh, in 1976. But he would then... Stay till 81. Stay till 81. Went, and went then to River, 81, 82, and yes. then went back to Valencia in 80, from 82 for, for, for two more years. I mean, you could possibly... I mean, there have been a lot of very good players who have played for Valencia. He is right up there with one of the best ever players to have ever played. I think he is the best. Mm, yeah, the big, yeah, the biggest legend. I think, I think if you if you ask most Valencia fans, they would say he's the best player of all time. I was actually maybe David at this, Villa. Well, I, I looked at an online poll earlier on today, and obviously conditioned by by immediacy and the closeness, but but Villa was the only person who outpolled ah. him. Um, so Villa was top, and, and Kempes was second. If you go back to more kind of if, like historically minded polls, he's almost always at the top. Mm. El Matador. El Matador. And yet didn't actually Another want to play name. at number nine. And one of the reasons why he fell out, or not fell out, but was, was unhappy with Alfredo Stefano, was Alfredo Stefano in the Cup Winners' Cup final that they won against Arsenal. Mm. Arsenal's players are number nine. He told Alfredo Stefano, you're killing me with this. Uh, you can imagine that as well, can't you, an Argentinian? Me estás matando. matando. estás matando, boludo. Anyway, and, and, but they won. Um, and I believe... I believe they, they well they beat Arsenal on, on penalties. I think he missed his penalty, but he he was <laughs> the the player. 173 goals for Valencia. His signing is quite an interesting one as well because the the sporting director at Valencia had never actually seen him play. And there's another there's a lovely okay. line there's another lovely line in this in a, in a recent interview. Obviously you can tell that it's recent because of what he says. In which um, Kempis says, "Well, it was like buying something off the internet." Obviously back then there was no internet. The sporting director at Valencia had read loads of copies of Gráfico, the the legendary Argentinian football magazine, right. and all these reports about how good Kempis was. And so he said, "Right, I want to try and sign this guy." So what he did was invite him for a trial. Mm. There was, and and I didn't know this until in, in, until I started looking up on this. I, I I didn't know this part of the story. Rosario Central had the offer. They knew the size of the offer. They knew it would be huge, but they put it to a vote: should we let him go or not? And in the end, they got a yes because, you know, the sense that you can't deny this guy an opportunity because they have a huge amount of money that was going to bring in. I'll tell you the figure in a minute. Um, and, and he went to Valencia and was absolutely brilliant. He uh, also obviously won the World Cup in 1978 with, uh, with Argentina. Yes. Uh, on, on, on home score. Top scorer. Top, top scorer. Yeah. And it, the interesting fact that I saw today was the only foreign-based player in that Argentina squad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you think the fact that he was a World Cup winner and sort of quite sort of I don't know for want of a word glamorous sort of adds to his legend? Absolutely, and, and also the way he looked. Definitely, yeah. I was going to say, talk about glamorous. Yeah. He, he, he did have that that look and the hair and everything else. Yeah, yeah. No, the exactly the the, the, the millenna that lovely word. What would you call that in English? Locks, I locks, suppose. Yes. Flowing locks. Yes. yes. Um, four hundred. Uh, sorry, four. Million pesetas, equivalent to about six hundred thousand dollars at the time, which was a, which was a huge fee. He he tells a story about how he played his first game in the Trofeo Naranja, Valencia's traditional pre-season tournament, mm-hmm. and they drew two-two with CSK Moscow. He misses his penalty in the shootout, and everyone says this guy is rubbish. There's actually a little bit of um, newspaper clippings talking about how the fans have it out with him. They don't think he's very good. They they they've been they've been defraudado, you know, let down yet again. And it all goes good. It's not like fans to be reactionary, is it? Yeah, especially not uh, especially not Valencia. Yeah. Yes, well, and, and he he, nice then, he then plays his first league, league game against Celta. I think scores twice, and, and the rest 
is history on TSFP presents. Yes, I mean, as you said, he's, he's scored loads of goals yeah. for uh, for Valencia and led them to the Cup Winners' Cup, as we said, which was their first major piece of European uh, silverware. They also won the UEFA Super Cup and obviously the Copa del Rey yeah. to get into the Cup Winners' Cup as exactly. well. Exactly. Uh, a really successful period, scoring a lot of goals and, and remains a legend. He's, he's on ESPN now, I think. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, very good, he's a very good pundit um, because he's incredibly honest hmm. quite direct he's, he's brave in what he says because I mean as, as a Valencia ambassador yeah I was going to say that's the thing they still looked him quite a lot for, for comment on the state of the club and it's, it's and usual he says ups things, and downs and he says things and he, he criticises elements of Valencia despite the fact he's a club employed ambassador which is very very unusual but he has a, a status I think and, a, and, and an attitude as well which means he's prepared to do so Let's uh, move on and talk about a uh, another player who uh, had a big impact, maybe even more so off the pitch than on the pitch in uh, in La Liga. Uh, John Aldrich and his move to Real Sociedad. This was a, a transfer that Sydney insisted uh, we uh, we stuck into this uh, this podcast for yeah. uh, for one major reason. And what was that, Sydney? Well, the major reason is that we're, we're talking about the influence and the impact that, that signings have, and I think the impact of Aldridge when we're talking about the first non-Basque player that Raul Sociedad has signed in 30 years the breaking of a policy I think that has an influence way beyond just Raul Sociedad I think Aldridge was one that one that because of how well he played effective I mean he wasn't the only one because others obviously arrived Kevin Richardson arrived and Dalian Atkinson arrived as well but he's the one that starts all of this and, and what he did was justify that it was worth breaking this policy um, and it's a policy that's a curious one because of course he, he turns up in September 89 and they then buy him, they buy other foreigners, they don't buy a non-Basque Spaniard until 2001 when they buy Boris from Real Oviedo. Of course. Right, so, so this tells you that there was still that, that slight sense of, should we really have broken this? And we don't want to break it entirely, but Aldridge became absolutely uh, adored mm. by Real Sociedad fans. And this is a guy who turns up, turns up at the training ground and sees graffiti on the wall of the training ground saying... No outsiders welcome here. The first thing he sees, pretty much, when he's, was he, it was he, it in English? I honestly don't know the answer. To that. Because, he might have had no idea what he no, said. Yeah, no, I think no, I think they probably no. told him it said "Welcome, John." <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, yeah. funny enough, now that you say that, that brings to mind the story, and I think he tells the story of asking what it says and someone telling him. And you're right, they could have said, it says, John, you're lovely. Yes. We really we want love you to your moustache. Well. Yeah. You, you, have we, a great time. Um, and obviously, the, the context of this is that. And the reason they changed the policy is that they're starting to get picked off. So Lopez Ricarte, Baquero, Bigiri Stein, they've all gone. These mm. are their big, big players. Uh, you know, they go to Barcelona. And funny enough, all three of those players yeah. publicly complained when they signed Aldridge. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but it's partly happening because you're you going. Off, yeah. yeah. The other great thing about John Aldridge, of course, you've got San Sebastián, one of the greatest cities in the world. You couldn't ask yeah. to live in a nicer place. Couldn't settle. Didn't like it. Yep. Went home well, to no, Tranmere. He, he loved it. This is the weird thing. He <laughs> loved it. His 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 um, phrase was food, drink, and football. What more can you want? That's what I had, and that's what my life is. Problem was his his daughters didn't settle very well, mm-hmm. and so when he left in in ninety one, he was only there for, for two years. He was only there for two years. Scored a lot of goals. He was he he, he left in 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 ninety one, and he he I remember him saying, and there's some, some lovely footage of this. Him saying basically, I'm very sad to go. I don't want to go, but I've got to go. Mm. It then took him a very long time to go back. He was back for a documentary about 
two, three years ago, and the reception was was extraordinary. Did he pick up any Spanish? No, a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. not a huge amount, but a little bit. It was yeah. only a couple of so years. So when he came yeah. back, and this this reception thing that he came to in a couple of years ago, he, he came back and he spoke to the media in in, in broken Spanish. Then, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. one point five million euros. Yeah, it was in 1989, not 1981. So yeah, he was yes, there for a, yeah, for a couple yeah. of years. And in, as Al says, he went back to Tranmere Rovers, which yep. is uh, quite a interesting. Quite a he was yeah. very when he went to Real Sociedad, he didn't want to go. Hmm. He was very, very bitter at the way that Liverpool had tried to push him out. Well, understandably as well, because, because he was brilliant. brilliant. At absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So there we go. An impact uh, as much off the pitch as on the pitch. Uh, John Aldridge. goals, man. In 75 appearances, yes. which yeah. is a pretty good Six going. of them at the Camp Nou. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. helps. Uh, another player that you insisted we stick in here uh, is Donato and his yeah. move from uh, Atletico Madrid to Deportivo La Coruña in 1993. There was a deal done yeah. for him to go to Real Madrid. Okay. But he did not find this out until much, much later. And that deal was never accepted because, of course, Jesus Hill was like, there's no way I'm selling this guy to, to Real Madrid. But he didn't actually want him at Atletico anymore. Donato was already getting on a bit. He was 31 when he arrived at Depot. Now, that's not to say that, OK, this is the end of it. But he was 31 when he arrived. He signed a four-year deal. He then, from that moment onwards, signed one-year deals every year for seven years. Yes. <laughs> he was playing till he was 41. A decade. It's incredible. That, I mean, that is quite an impact. Yes, yes yeah, yes. And, and obviously, you know, in terms of an impact and a moment, um, and, and you know, you can actually argue that in that team, Mauro Silva was as important as him, but this is the guy that becomes the oldest ever out, outfield player to score, well, oldest ever outfield player in La Liga history, the oldest outfield player to score in La Liga history at, at 41, and, of course, I suppose, in terms of an impact, an emotional impact, he is on the pitch when Depor blow the league title. Mm. He's a regular penalty taker, but he, sorry, he's not on the pitch. He's on the bench. That's the point. He's been taken mm. off 10 minutes before. The penalty gets missed by Jukic and Depor don't win the league. Do finally win the league in 1999-2000. Uh, he's the guy that scores the header that wins the league for them. And if only for that, Donato, yeah. this man with a big fat belly, who I went yeah. to interview. I didn't realise this until I started looking up, looking this up. I went to interview 18... Man with a big fat belly. He was... He was <laughs> He was roly-poly. Yes. Um, I interviewed him 18 years ago, and there's a line in the interview where he says, we have a real problem with the press here. All they want to talk about is Madrid and Barcelona. <laughs> but, wow, some things have never changed. <laughs> um, he lives in Spain. He lives in A Coruña still. Yes. He, he is desperate to have some sort of coaching role at the club, but the, the phone just doesn't ring. Um, I mean, I was looking on his Wikipedia page, mm. and he apparently has had some rather lowly coaching jobs in regional Galician yeah. teams. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's really sort of uh, linked to sort of there's grassroots clearly, Galician There's football. clearly a sign that, that somewhere along the line he loves football and he yes. just wants to be involved. Yeah. And he's a sort of an honorary Gallego as well. Yeah, Obviously, absolutely. he's got Spanish nationality, played for Spain. Played for the well, Spanish national team, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd waited a long time for, for the call. I, mean, I think, think he gets called up at 29 or 30 by Javier Clemente. Yes. Um, gets his Spanish nationality. I seem to remember, but I, 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 I haven't been able to find the video, him doing an advert. Um, which was a little bit like that John Barnes Lucasade advert where John Barnes comes into the game and opens up his lockers and says Lucasade gets to you fast fast anyway but Donato's one is he opens From up the his early lockers. 1990s yeah. uh, people you wouldn't be yeah. uh, surprised yeah, to hear Lucasade is, is isotonic blah 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 yeah. anyway there's a, there's a Donato version of it well I say version of it that would be unfair where he opens up his locker and I, I, I remember this so vaguely that I'm I'm convinced I must be wrong, but I want, if someone's ever seen we'll, it and has a link we'll, to it, please we'll find it. Link, we'll, it'll be on YouTube. I, well, I was looking we'll, and I couldn't we'll find it, it anyway, and he goes to his locker and takes out the Bible instead. Oh, wow, okay. Incredibly devout. I, I wasn't, wasn't an expecting an that. An athlete of Christ. 
Oh wow! That, that okay. group of kind of Brazilian evangelist footballers. All right. Okay. Yeah. I heard him on the radio the other day. He's got a funny voice. He's got a very funny voice, which yeah. is one of the things that was so striking about that advert. <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen, we'll leave it there. Thank you for accompanying us on this uh, journey through uh, a history of uh, most influential and biggest impact transfers uh, in La Liga over the last few decades. What have we learned this time? Because in the first episode, we learned as a player never say never. Mm. In the second episode, we learned as a club make sure your release clause on a player is substantial. <laughs> have, we, have we learned any lessons this time? Uh, Have we learned any lessons? Yeah. Maybe the lesson is you might not expect it, but some people can change your life. Wow. Well, that's, okay. that's profound. That profound, is. isn't it? I mean, you know, John Aldridge, they knew it was changing because of the policy, but that policy that was done with a sense of regret mm. and actually very soon it was embraced. You go to Kubala, he brings you a stadium. This, you know, all right, people did know that Kubala was a big name. People did know he was exciting. The plan of the stadium was already there, but you know, people can change your lives. Just like you've done mine. <laughs> let's leave it there for on the that better, wonderful note. Oh, heavens, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's leave it there. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with another edition of TSFP Presents A History of Transfers. <laughs> <laughs>